Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. So um, I, I just want to just say that I, I visit Partners in Harvest churches almost every Sunday, not quite. And I've been trying to hint to many of them to revive our historical roots. Believe it or not, the church did not start with the Toronto Blessing or Azusa Street even, or even Wesley or the Reformation. We have a 2,000 year history in the church. And I love that you guys through the confession of the Nicene Creed are, are connecting and acknowledging this 2,000-year history that we have. And we have a lot to learn from the historical fathers of the faith. Um, you know, I, when I lived in Ukraine, many of you know that, and we would take trips down to Israel, down, and uh, we spent two weeks down in Egypt one time. And how many of you heard of uh, the Desert Fathers? Have you heard that term? And one of them was St. Anthony, and he had a cave. And I got to go to St. Anthony's Cave in Egypt. And the, the word is that birds would feed him. And uh, he, people would come there for healing and everything. And, you know, that's in Egypt. That's in, in the context of the Coptic uh, faith. And yet, you know, there's life and vitality in that. And so for, for me to be with you today, confessing the Nicene Creed is such a blessing. Because there was a special man there at, uh, in, in Nicaea when they created that creed. And, of course, that was Santa Claus. So I just want to wake you up. And I'm just so concerned that we stop lying to our children that there is no Santa Claus. <laughs> How many have kids? Listen, you need to stop lying to them that there is no Santa Claus. You know, there is a guy by the name of Nicholas, a real historical person who lived in Myra, uh, Turkey. There's, it wasn't called Turkey then, but in the, that part of the world is Turkey today. And he was from a wealthy family. His parents died. He got a wonderful inheritance, and he was, became a wealthy man. But he, had, he was a Christian, and he loved Jesus. And uh, he had a real heart for the poor. And the apostolic is always to have a heart for the poor. And uh, during those days, if your family became poor uh, and you were thrown into debt, one of the t awful things that would happen was that they would take not just your property, but they take your kids and they take your daughters. And many times the daughters were, were put into what we call today sex trafficking. And because you needed to have a dowry in order to get your daughters properly married off and into an honorable family. And Nicholas was so concerned about this, and he secretly started giving money to poor families. And then he was found out that he gave this money, and uh, he was acknowledged as a godly man and eventually became a bishop, listen to this, in Hold on to your seats. In the church. 
Back in those days, there was no charismatic church. There was no river church. There was no Protestant church. There was no Lutheran church. There was no Catholic church. There was only the church. And he became a bishop in the church because of he was recognized for his godliness. And so back in that time period, uh, there was a, in the early days, the early centuries actually of the church, there was a great controversy about, about whether uh, Jesus was actually divine. Now, you, we just confessed that, born of a virgin. But there was a man by the name of Arius who was teaching that, you know, actually Jesus was just, he was just a good man, he was a prophet, and okay, he was the son of God in the same way we were the son of God, but he wasn't actually God in the flesh. And that was one of the, the great um, controversies of the early church. Because listen, see, the eternal God became flesh. J Jesus was crucified because he claimed that he was the eternal God. He called himself the I am, I am the door, I am the light, I am the good shepherd. He said a lot of I am statements. But then when he said in front of the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. They knew what he was talking about because it was the I am that spoke to Moses out of the bush and he said, I am that I am. And Jesus in the flesh was claiming to be that one who spoke to Moses out of the bush and even the one that was before Abraham. So the implications of that are, hi, I am God in front of you. And so what did they do? They, they, put, they, they grabbed stones to kill him because here he was claiming to be God. And, and that is what we call the incarnation and of course, that is what we're celebrating this weekend at Christmas time. This weekend, right now, we're celebrating Christmas. I hope, right? The original Christmas was an Eastern Christmas, folks, and 300 million Christians this weekend are celebrating Christmas. So, Merry Christmas! In the Orthodox Church, yeah, the Eastern Church is the Greek and the Eastern uh, Church is celebrating Christmas this weekend. And, and so, you know, we have to sometimes get ourselves out of the mentality that everything's focused on the way we, we've been taught or thought. We have a wonderful 2,000-year history. So going back to Nicholas, Christianity was accepted by, by Constantine, the emperor. He understood this, this controversy that was going on. Is Jesus God or is he not God? So he called the bishops together to settle this. He called them together in the town called Nicaea. And Nicholas, as one of the bishops, was there. So when Arius, who did not believe in the divinity of, of Jesus Christ, got up to give his side of the argument, Nicholas was so incensed that he got up and he slapped Arius. So apparently Santa Claus has a temper. Now there's actually two records of what he actually did. Uh, one record is that he just got up, Nicholas just got up and slapped Arius. 
The other one was that he actually tackled him, put him down to the ground and beat him up and actually got arrested and thrown in jail for a night or two. So Santa Claus got thrown in jail. You've seen the movie, right? <laughs> was that Miracle on 34th Street? Yeah. So, uh, okay, now, so that really happened. Now, we're not, the only thing that we don't know for sure is whether he slapped him or whether he tackled him, but the fact that he refuted him really happened because he was defending that God came in the flesh. Now, the reason that's so important is that God came in the flesh and identified with something good, and that is called, listen, it's called the body. So, you and I have, sometimes we get the idea, the spirit, our heart's really good, but our body must be really bad. Oh, no, 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 no. God created the physical. He's going to redeem the physical. In fact, God so loves the body that the eternal God, and we cannot measure eternity, the eternal God has chosen to be in a body forever in the Son, the Lord Jesus. God will be in a body forever in the Son, the Lord Jesus. And that is the hope of your redemption because redemption is not just that your spirit or your soul is saved and you go out and you're like Casper the friendly ghost for all of eternity, like an alien or a UFO that cannot be identified or you have seven eyes or no eyes or you, something you cannot be identified with. No, you will be you forever in your redeemed incorruptible physical body living in a physical eternity forever Amen. that's why we defend the incarnation first timothy three sixteen, god was manifested in the flesh a basic fundamental non we cannot compromise on that doctrine and so Nicholas did not compromise. He understood the, the implications of all this. And so uh, Nicholas then <clears throat> became a defender of that, and uh, we're celebrating to that today. And out of that council came the uh, Nicene Statement of Faith, and Nicholas was part of that. Santa Claus was part of that. Now, let me just let you know, where, where, where you get the Nicholas Santa Claus connection? Uh, during, uh, the, as centuries followed, because Nicholas was buried, and his, 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 his grave was honored. The saints knew where his grave was. But as the Muslims started moving up into what is present-day Turkey, because that whole region, friends, used to be Christian. That whole region used to be Christian. And as they started moving up, one of the things they did back then is what they're doing today. They, they're desec they desecrated and destroyed Christian graves and churches. And so the saints understood who Nicholas was and did not want his grave to be desecrated. So they actually took his bones and moved it to the safe part of Europe, which is 
uh, and, and moved his bones into a community called Bari, Italy. And 99% of people believe that Nicholas is buried there today. There's controversy about whether they're actually his bones and stuff. But um, the, uh, in, in, in the city of Bar Bari, Italy, see, Nicholas had a mantle of unity upon him. He had a, a mantle of, of love and of oneness of the church upon him as well. It's, it's an interesting study. And today in Bari, Italy, there is a Jesus community where there are Protestants, Anglicans, Catholics, Charismatics, Pentecostals, all living together in one unified community. And it's, it's because of the, the heritage of Nicholas. And you could go there and you can find that, you can see that community. I've met people from that community in Bari, Italy, about four hours from Rome. And then um, the other thing that you can see in Bari, Italy, is the big stadium, which is called Santa Claus Stadium. And uh, so Nicholas, the last part of that is Claus. As, as that term came to the West, Santa means saints. He just became Saint, Santa, you know, Saint, Saint Nicholas, Saint Claus, Santa Claus, and through the centuries, especially from the German and into the Dutch names, uh, it, they, they dropped the nick and it just became Claus. But in the Eastern Church, in the same way that we in the West kind of joke about you went to heaven and St. Peter met you at the gate because he was like seen as the Pope or the, you know, the main, the main, the main bishop of Rome, so that here in uh, the East... Or there in the east, Nicholas is, is that saint. On, he's revered in that way. And uh, so my, my grandfather, his name is Nicholas. And uh, so I'm related to Santa Claus somehow. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, there's a little history lesson for you. And especially on this Christmas weekend. <coughs> so what did you get me for Christmas? Okay. Anyways, all right. All right, so there you go, friends. Uh, and so I'm really glad that you guys are doing that. And, and one of the things that I would love to see in partners' churches is a greater acknowledgement of our 2,000-year history and not just, you know, our, our recent evangelical or fundamental or even Pentecostal charismatic history. Because there is wonderful saints, friends, who stewarded uh, the graces of God. You see, the, the, the Orthodox identify, they define the grace of God as his energy working in you. And uh, there's, there's a lot of things that we can learn from our 2,000 year of history. Now, having said that, I just want to take one minute and... Uh, can we pray together for our dear brother, Andrew Brunson, who is in Izmir, Turkey today. And I'm sure that Cameron has already talked about this. He's still in jail. We have, we, uh, Gwen and I phoned his wife, Noreen, last week. The cell he's in is cold. Uh, it's wintertime there. Even though it doesn't get like this, it's still cold. And so our Partners in Harvest, Mideast coordinator, is in prison right now. You know, it's a convoluted journey sometimes. 
hey, Lord, how come I've served you for 25 years as a faithful missionary, and my reward is I get thrown in jail and separated from my kids? I don't have all the answers to that. But Father, I, I, I stand here with my, my family here in New Day, our partners in Harvest family, and I'm, we, we continue to ask you that you would release our dear brother Andrew, restore him to his wife, restore him to his family, restore him to us. Lord, open, send the angel like you did in Acts chapter 12 for Peter and smite somebody and, and, and release him from that prison cell, we pray. Let your eyes and your hand be with Andrew and work out your purposes for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, friends, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, please. And I want to do a, a meditation with you that I feel that in my meditation and preparing for this particular Sunday morning with you at New Day, not the revival weekend, but these two services with New Day, I've, I felt as odd as it is that I give kind of an unusual message that I don't usually do at a local church. It's a message that I'll just call the centrality of Israel. The centrality of Israel. But the centrality of, of Israel is very practical to us as, as, as well. And so, um, <clears throat> let's just pray. Lord, we pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would be with my mouth as I speak and you would be with their hearts as they listen and that the words spoken would be words that the Holy Spirit teaches. Arriba. And that you would awaken our understanding about your purposes. And specifically for New Day. I don't fully understand how this all connects with New Day. But you told me to give this word. And so here we go. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Just before we read there, let's make a statement about Romans. Romans is the foundational doctrinal book for, for, the, New, for the New Testament church. Romans 1 to 3 talks about the fall of man, the darkness of man in his natural state. Romans 4 to 5 talks about how man was redeemed by, by Christ's sacrifice and that we receive that by faith. And we get salvation. Romans 6 to 8 talks about not just how we get redeemed, but how we can live redeemed victoriously by the power of the Spirit. And so those are foundational doctrines for us as believers. But then when we get to Romans 9, which we're going to get to in a few minutes, it is still doctrine. So keep that in mind as we look at Romans 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest among them. One version says in them, 
but really a better word would, would be this. What can be known about God becomes clear. God has made it, made it clear, not just in us, but among us. For God has shown it to them. Everybody say shown. Okay, so shown means that I'm, I'm, I'm causing this to be known even in the natural to you. I, I want to show and tell. So in the Christian life, we live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that, that we walk by faith and not by sight. But that, that verse is in the context that we live by faith that there's going to be a physical resurrection. That is actually the context of 2 Corinthians 5, 7. That we don't see your resurrection yet, but we have faith that you are going to be resurrected. That's the context. But the other truth is, is that God has revealed himself not just in things that we cannot see that we have to take by faith, but there are certain things that God has given to us among us that we can see because he has shown it among us. That's what that verse is saying. Are you with me? Everybody following me here? Watch verse 20 now. For since the creation of the world... Creation itself, by the way, is physical. Right? You can see creation. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. So connect that thought. In something that can be seen, you get a, a, a taste or a view of the power of the attributes or the nature of God. And what can be seen Behind that which, you can be, that which you can be seen, you can see the hand, the faithfulness, the power, the sustaining power of God. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Mm. This is a serious word. What is it saying here is that God the Creator has allowed us and given a witness to us and put things in front of us that can actually be seen. They've actually appeared. They've, everybody say appeared. Go back to verse 19, and it says, that, that word where it says shown, and I want to read you, I'm going to take some time here on, on this uh, service. I'm going to read you what the word appeared means. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Christ is going to physically appear. Physically in front of everybody's eyes. That's going to happen. 
And that word appear means to lay bare, reveal, uncover, make visible, make known what has been hidden or, or unknown to make clear. So especially that understanding of, of something made visible. God has made things visible to us, friends. Even though there's a part of our life going into eternity that we cannot clearly see yet, we see through a glass darkly, but there are certain things that he has made visible, to, even to us. And all of man, all of, all of us have to be accountable for it. Over the, the holidays, believe it or not, you know, Merry, Merry Christmas, I read the book of Job, all 42 chapters of Job through the holidays. Like, great holiday book to read. And at the end of the book of Job, uh, when Job had all these questions about the ways of God, God said to him, hey, hey, did you create the constellations? You know, I wanted those seven stars to be just those seven stars, the Pleiades, whatever they're called. And I wanted Orion to be Orion. And I wanted the ocean to have a boundary right where I put it. And I wanted that Leviathan where you say it's the old dinosaurs and some many, many think that that's the dinosaur. Uh, or some think it's an, eleva or an, an elevator, an alligator. Whatever it is, God appeals to Job to say, I've created something that you can be seen, that, that can be seen, and you can see it, so I'm God. Okay, now I've, that's a big buildup to this point for the next 10 or 15 minutes. God has created something that all of us can, can be seen, and it can be seen so clearly in our generation, it is called the nation of Israel. Something that everybody, the UN, the newspapers, CNN, I mean, there's 40 wars going on in the world today. But if someone says Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, the world is completely up in arms. Chemical weapons can be going on. You know, there could be slavery still going on, but the UN Council calls it because we don't want Jerusalem to be the nation, the capital. There is supernatural power, demonic power, that is fighting what God is doing in the earth today that can be seen. And may your hearts and my hearts and my eyes be open to this thing. Because all of us are connected and our destiny is connected to what's going on in that land. All of us are. So let's just paint a picture of how we're all connected. Romans chapter 9. Let's go over to Romans 9. You know, in Romans 9, God has said, I've chosen a people to be stewards of, and we can see it in, in, in verse uh, 4. They can be stewards of adoption, glory, covenants, the word of God, which is here is referred to the law, the service of God, and the promises. I've chosen a people. I've chosen Abraham and his descendants to steward those things. Glory, covenant, promise. Why, why, did, he, why did he choose? 
because he did. Why did you do? He, uh, because I'm God. Well, I think Abraham had issues, you know. Jacob had issues. You know, David had some, yes, I know, but I've chosen that they carry this and steward it. Adoption, glory, promises, covenant. I decided to give it to them. But, 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 no buts. I'm God, I've decided to do this. And by the way, I've also decided to give them that land. Personally, I would have chosen Pennsylvania. Rolling hills, streams, lakes, you know, generally nice, different, you know, moderate seasons. Or, or you know, maybe Florida, you know, would have been on the, on the option. Michigan, you know, maybe too. But Israel is dusty, it's dirty, it's hot, it's wilderness. More than, more than way more than half of it is wilderness. It's, 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 it's 110 degrees, and then it's Jerusalem rains, and it's cold, and... David lived there, and anyways, God said, no, I want, you, I want that city, and I want that land. And then you read farther on in Romans 9. Now, this is, this is going to disturb some of you, but here's the thing. God says, I've chosen Jacob, and I've rejected Esau. Now, here you go. Ready? Listen to me. This is not talking about personal, individual salvation. You know, because, you know, there has been people who, who have heard a teaching that election is for individual salvation. And so they just say, well, I guess I'm not elected. I don't feel anything. And he must be elected. So I'm just going to live my life in the flesh and for the world because I'm not part of the elect. It's not about individual salvation in Romans chapter 9. God has chosen the nation of Jacob, which is also called Israel. He's chosen that nation. And at the end of Romans 11, where you hear often in Christianity, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. That is not talking about individuals. Well, that pastor fell or whatever had happened to him or they're backsliding, but don't worry, the gifts and the callings are still with them. That's true to a point. But the context of the gift and callings of God never changing is in the context of God's gifts and callings to this people called Israel. Ariba. And so, go over to Romans chapter 11. Romans 1 is doctrine. 1 to 3. 4 to 5 is doctrine, faith and redemption. 6 to 8 is doctrine, that is victorious Christian life. Romans 9 does not all of a sudden Paul turn into this emotional Jewish matzah soup loving son of Israel. That, oh, I just wish, I feel so sorry for them. Now, he has compassion for them, but it is, he is teaching basic 
Christian doctrine in Romans, friends. He's teaching this is how the world works. These are the ways of God in in redemption, not just individual redemption, but all redemption for creation. Okay, Let's, let's see it. Chapter 11, verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? That is, they is referring to the Jewish people. Certainly not. But through their fall or failure to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That is, the, pure, the, the pagan Europeans, Africans, and Asians of which we are in our forefathers. Pagan. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles. I'm just going to back up and say again. Do you understand the riches that you're receiving and being here for an hour and a half today? You're hearing the riches of the Word of God. You are partaking of the riches of the Eucharist, which is not just a memorial, but it is life to you. You're partaking of the riches of anointed praise and worship, and that anointed anointing grips your heart, and something moved in your heart to cause your lips to praise God. And your lips and your heart started working together, and you connected with heaven. That's wealth, friends. So I really hope that you as a Gentile appreciate the wealth that you are living in, and don't take for granted it's church today again. This is wealth right here. And their fall brought wealth and riches to what we are experiencing even right now. Arriba. We're hearing the eternal word of God right now. That's wealthy. But so, so it says, if their riches get, if their fall gets us riches, what is their fullness going to get us? Did anybody here go to math class? Like two plus two equals four, you know. Like there is a logic that is going on here. If, if their fall brings us riches, what's going to happen when they get their fullness? What's, what's going to happen to us when they get their fullness? Because we're connected historically and spiritually. There's a parallel between what happens in Israel and what happens in the church. It's going to affect us as well. And here's how it's going to affect us. Going down to verse 15. If they're being cast away as the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? I think the doctrine of resurrection from the dead is is going to increase and the experience of resurrection from the dead, because we've all been hoping for the resurrection of the dead, is going to increase as Israel comes into their heritage of of faith uh, in, in their Messiah. Now, it's not just talking about the resurrection of the dead as a miracle like we saw Jesus did, and it's, a basically a, it's a basic doctrine in Hebrews chapter 6. But the resurrection of the dead, that creation 
creation, the planet, creation itself will be resurrected from the curse, from the fall, from the darkness which it is still under, and it is connected with a people understanding their Messiah. And I'm going to just take two, two more minutes, because I want to let you know that this is going to happen. This is happening right now, and it's going to happen. It's, it's Joseph's brothers had visits with him, had visits with them. Joseph is the type of Jesus. The brothers are really the, the, the messianic, the, the, the church. I should say the Jewish church, the brothers who do not know their brothers because, listen closely, he was hidden in a Gentile world. He was hidden from them in a Gentile world. Oh, I'm, I, I'm Jewish. I can't become a Christian. No one's asking you to become a Christian. You are becoming a, a, a follower of your Messiah. But they could not recognize their brother because he was hidden in a Gentile world. And sometimes, sadly, we've hidden Jesus. But there, was, there came a day when the emotion of the Lord Jesus, see, he took care of them. Listen, he took care of them even when they did not know him. Are you aware that some of the wealthiest people on the planet Earth who have the greatest creative ideas and they just know how to make money are Jewish people? Are you aware of that? Do you remember when Joseph put silver in the grain, uh, in, 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 hidden in the grain of his brothers. They didn't know how it got there. Jesus put silver and the ways of getting silver into the carts of his brothers today. Jesus did that. He deposited that silver. They couldn't figure it out. But there came a day when Joseph couldn't hold it back anymore, and he revealed himself to his brothers in weeping. And they were shocked. They thought he was dead, forgotten. No more. No, 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 no. And we are living in today. We are living in, in the day when Joseph, our Jesus, uh, the Yeshua, is revealing himself to his brothers. And you and I live in that generation where Israel is being restored physically. Now, the Holy Land is not the Holy Land, just to let you know. You go there, it's not holy. But it is separated to God. That's what makes it the Holy Land. And for whatever reason, now this is the prophetic word. I don't know how this all works out for you, Cameron, and your leadership. The Lord told me to preach this at New Day. Like, I'm a river, I'm a river leader. And, and he wants you guys to somehow have a part in this. Or to upgrade your part of it. I don't know. 
But I said, Lord, are you sure? I mean, even last night and even this morning, you sure you want me to talk to Israel? So, you're connected, I'm connected, arriba. The gospel going to the nations has to have a part where it says the Jew first and then to the Gentile. There is a, there is a priority, not in value, but in order. Are you hearing me? Not in the value of a Jew versus a Gentile, but in the value of the order of God. And apostolic people need to understand order very well in order to be apostolic. Arriba. Arriba.